Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Welcome back to another episode of the DIGA podcast. I'm your host, Mark Conley, and today I have with me Dr. Jason Mathis. He's faculty on the University of Utah School of Medicine Department of Dermatology, and he practices general dermatology. Today he shares with us his experience dual applying to family medicine and dermatology and how he was able to match into dermatology. He also shares with us his experience reviewing residency applications and what he looked for in an applicant. Without further ado, we'll see you on the skin side. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIGA podcast. Welcome, Dr. Mathis from the University of Utah faculty. Do you want to introduce yourself, Dr. Mathis? I'm sure, Jason's fine. Dr. Mathis is my dad. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm from Utah, born and raised, a little town called Vernal. And my dad's a veterinarian, and I kind of got tired of cow manure, so I wanted to be in human medicine. And that's kind of what got me into it. Uh, my older brother wanted to be a, a physician too, and I kind of idolized him, and I think that's what I got. That's really where I got it from, was just following him. Um, but I ended up going to BYU for undergrad, and then for medical school, I went over to Ohio State. I didn't get accepted at the University of Utah. That's where I would have wanted to go. And so then I got all bitter about it. And I thought, I'm ne- I'm going to become so famous, and they're going to want me to come and speak, and I'm never going to go there again. And now I work <laughs> for them, and it's great. So that's just how life goes. After That's Ohio State, I went to Rochester, New York for residency, and then finally back to Utah. I just wanted to come home, and this was the way I could do it. That's fantastic, and yeah, I love it out in Vernal. It's a, it's a great place to fly fish, and and uh, yeah. It's a good place. <laughs> Keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah. We, well... <laughs> We can edit that part <laughs> yeah. out. We can edit that part out. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> so um, before you uh, went to medical school, did you have any interest in dermatology or when did that interest come about? I was kind of interested in it, honestly, because my grandpa, when I was little, my mom told me he had a melanoma. And so from the time I was really little, I had this idea of skin cancer being bad and I wanted to do something about it. And that got me interested in it, I think, as I, I was always writing my research papers about skin cancer in like eighth grade when you have to do those middle school research papers. That's what I did it on. And then I figured I was naive. In, in Vernal, you had a family practice doctor and you had a surgeon. And I didn't want to be a surgeon. I thought I wanted to be a family medicine guy who just did skin cancer because that's what I thought you could do. And mm-hmm. one of my scout leaders he was my bishop at the time, my church leader. And when I came home from serving a a mission for my church, he was talking to me and I said, if you could do it over again, what would you do? Because he's a family practice guy. And he goes, I would be a dermatologist. And I thought, I didn't know that's a thing. (laughs) So that's really when I decided I was going to be a dermatologist because I figured it was good enough for this guy. I respected it. It was good enough for me. And I set my sights on it after that point. So and, all through and, undergrad, that's kind of what I was targeting. Okay. That was my next question. So that was pretty much through undergrad. You were, you were ready to go. That's awesome. Um, Cause before then it was just physician. Like I wanted to be a physician and I didn't know any different. Right. Right. And so you knew that. And so did you do anything in like your first two years of medical school to kind of prepare for dermatology? I, 
I remember um, just a little background. I've Dr. Mathis and I have worked together before, so I know a little bit of his background. Uh, but I just remember you saying that you did a lot of surgery while you're in medical school, a lot of practice with sutures and whatnot. In residency. Yeah. In residency. In medical school, I knew that I wanted to. And so I reached out to the Durham the residency director, Dr. Zyrus, and he set me up with the project. Um, he took me, like he and Ben Kaffenberger, they just took me under their wing and gave me some stuff to do because I I knew nothing about it and mm-hmm. I had no connections. And it was really just for their goodness that I got in, honestly, because they took me in. So cool. Um, and, and that was during your like first two years of medical school, you started doing like that was, I think it might've been in my second year. I don't remember exactly. And I just remember going to meet Dr. Zyrus at this, I think it might've been a pizza place we met up and he was like, why are you interested in Derm and what do you want to do? And he, he let me work on this North American contact dermatitis database. And so he would send me lists of products and I'd go around to grocery stores and drug stores and I'd find the product on the shelf and I'd write down all the ingredients in it. And I put him into his database and wow. he actually paid me for it. Like it was, it was a little bit of paid position, but it was mostly just getting acquainted with him. And it was all just because he was a nice guy and wanted to give me a chance. Okay. Very cool. And that was kind of yeah. what you did before clinical years. Um, and then when you're in your third year, did you do like an elective rotation in dermatology? I actually didn't. I looked at this prompt you gave me here and I thought this is going to be a really short or interview for you because I didn't have any money. And in third year, when most, most people do them in third year, right? Or is it fourth year now? Um, third year you're applying. Yeah. Like away rotations, usually third year. And then like outside of your core rotations, typically people Mm -hmm. will do them like your, like an elective rotation at your home program or, or at a community dermatology um yeah. office i did my elective with ohio state and just did the regular elective that they have available to dermatology and my wife was pregnant throughout uh end of second beginning of third and we just had a baby around the time that i was supposed to consider doing these away rotations but i had no money like nobody has any money unless your parents are rich which mine were not and so we had taken out maximum loans that we could just so we could get by and I had yeah. nothing to spend on away rotations. So if you don't have money, you're screwed. You just can't do it. And right. that's, I think that's the real scenario for most people. The ones who do away rotations, honestly, they're already kind of ahead in life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's pretty incredible. So you didn't do any away rotations. I couldn't. How could you do it? Most right, people right. can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even if they, and for a lot of them, if you do have opportunity financially, sometimes you still have luck finding somebody that'll take you in. Right. No. Yeah. I've I've heard that. Um, I know my brother. He's in ophthalmology, and he had he had trouble just like finding programs that yeah, he wanted to go to and that he was interested in. So yeah, so, no, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. So I wanted to do them, but it just it wasn't a realistic opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. And was that the elective that you did at Ohio State? Was that helpful for you, or to get like a oh, letter of recommendation? Yeah, you you should always try to do in a rotation somewhere. I know some places won't have a home institution, 
And it seems like if that's the case, the best thing to do is to talk to your medical school administrators or counselors, because they may have connections at other schools where they have sent previous students. And you can say, hey, what do people who are interested in this do? How can you help me work this out? If, if there's no if there's no local department for you to do it with. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know it's you, you definitely have to be uh, resourceful during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so something I I remember correctly, when we worked together, you had mentioned that just because of the, the competitive nature of applying to dermatology that you um, applied to dermatology and family medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. correct, right? Yeah, cool. And I know that's that's super common. Like a lot of people applied to both internal medicine or or family medicine and dermatology. Um, can you kind of walk me through that process and what that looked like? That was that was mostly just because I I hadn't done the things that most people feel like they have to do for derm. That's a, a whole separate aside of what people feel like they have to do and how I feel about those things, but. Um, I hadn't done a ton of impactful research because I don't have that skill set. Um, it wasn't something I'd ever been trained in. I hadn't done an away rotation. I didn't have any connections because I just had nobody from Vernal. Um, right. And so, and I had no money. And so I thought if I am done with medical school and I don't have a job, that's worst case scenario for me. I had to have a job. And I thought, I want to be a dermatologist but in the end, I'm still a physician and I can do any job if somebody will teach me to do it. And I thought, if it's not going to be Durham, I suppose I'll just do family because then I know I can get a job anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country. And then I could go home or we could be near family and I have my job and we'd be happy. And it was, that was mostly what it was. It was just, I was determined to have a job when I was done. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great way to like, you know, hedge your bets. I, I think a lot of people are interested in doing that. So Um, And the the application was super simple. I mean, you just selected it. I used all the same letters of recommendations for dermatology for my family med. I didn't, I didn't alter them at all because I figured if they see I'm applying for dermatology, they'll know I'm a serious applicant and they'll probably be fine with all these letters. Like if they're good enough for family (laughs) or if they're good enough for derm, they're probably good enough for family. And I don't disparage family in in any way because that's a super tough job. But I just figured because of the way that the match has been competitive, if you're competitive in this specialty, you're going to be competitive in any specialty. You could just scratch family out and say internal med or radiology or whatever. Um, for some of those higher competitive ones, you'd probably need to tailor your notes or your application letters. But that's not what I did. And I got interviews at family medicine positions here in Utah, and, and I attended those, and it was very simple. Okay. Very cool. And I mean, that's super nice that you didn't have to like really alter anything. Were all of those letters from dermatologists? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Super cool. And so how many, uh, how many programs in each respective specialty did you apply to? In dermatology, I applied to everything that was not on the East coast because I wanted to get closer to home and we'd been moving gradually further and further away from Utah. And I've been trying to get back ever since I left. And yeah. so I just, I just took everything that wasn't on the Eastern seaboard and said, I'm applying there. And my wife looked at the map and she goes, well, you didn't apply to Rochester. And we'd gone up to Rochester to visit Palmyra, which is a historical church site. And so we'd gone up there and she's like, it was pretty up there. You should apply to Rochester. And I was like, oh, fine. It's in New York. And I, I didn't <laughs> want to go to New York. And that's where I ended up. And it was a great program. And so it was, it, it's just a lot of 
little dumb luck things that connected for me. That is so ironic that you were trying to head back west, but you ended up further east <laughs> yeah. in New York. It's weird, it's weird. <laughs> and it was the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Upstate New York is beautiful. So I, yeah, I miss it. Worked out. It's definitely, it's probably cooler up there than it is uh, in Utah in the summer. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then is there anything you can tell us about like the Rochester program? Like how you think like you ended up being a good fit there? Like how they ended up choosing you? I, I don't know. I didn't have any insight into their specific application cycle that year, other than I interviewed and I thought that. I hit it off with a few of the people I interviewed with and then I ended up there. In reality, they may have gotten stuck with me as their last choice. I don't know. I'll never know because they're not going to tell you that. Right. But they were, they were my top. I, I put two Texas schools higher than them because I wanted to be West and I liked Rochester the most, but I put it third because I just wanted to be West and I still ended up at Rochester. Oh, that's cool. So you ended up yeah. at basically one of your top three choices. Um, yeah, out of I, I think I only had five. It wasn't many. I'm not a stellar applicant. I wasn't then. I definitely wouldn't match now. <laughs> after <laughs> after being part of the admissions committees, it's outrageous. People are good. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were working together. Even some of the residents, it was like several of the residents. It was their second residency. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Tell me about the family medicine. Did you rank any of those programs or are you pretty confident that you're going to match? Oh, no, I ranked them for sure. I ranked them all underneath my dermatology matches because like I said, I was going to have a job when I finished. Okay. So you just rank anywhere that you interviewed at ahead of the dermatology or yeah. excuse me, dermatology ahead of- I ranked my programs medicine. one through whatever. Okay. Super cool. Yeah. No, I mean, I figured that's what you did, but it's just helpful to know. Um, well, being on like the university of Utah faculty, um, you know, I'm assuming you get to be a part of the process of, um, selecting applicants. What, what are you seeing as like something people can do to be a better applicant or differentiate themselves? So it's hard to speak for everybody who reviews them. Um, cause different people will have different things they're looking for. But when I was reviewing them, we get. 800 applications per year mm -hmm. and so they farm them out and they would divide them up into faculty members and we would each review a set number of applications and then choose our top two i think it was out of 15 that we were handed and it's hard to look at all the stuff the the eras applications are not easy to look at because every school has a different grading system and the reports all look different and the clerkship grades all look different and so what i ended up doing and there's there's like a hundred things of volunteering and research activities and other activities that people have done and put on their applications it's just impossible to look at them and say this person is the one i want and so truthfully what ended up connecting me to a person was their personal statement and letters of recommendation and i figured as long as they had passing grades, I, I would look at the things to make sure they didn't have any red flag grades, like they failed stuff or a really bad clerkship review. Then I would look at their personal statement and their their letters of recommendation and see if something in there connected to me. And that's kind of how I would pick somebody. Yeah. I mean, this is makes, Milo. 
<laughs> yeah, we've we've got Dr. Mathis's son here. Um and and I do that kind of because I had some some weird encounters with residents in my resident in my med school years who were stressed out or something and would just sink you in your clerkship grades. And so I I just experienced firsthand how subjective the clerkship grades are. Yeah. And I kind of throw them out because there's no standardization on the clerkship grades. Right. And so what one school gives everybody honors, one school gives everybody pass and their equivalent grades, there's no way to sort them out. And every now and then you'll get somebody who just isn't fair or, or is biased in some way. And so I figured, do I connect with the person on the personal statement? Do I connect with them or with what is said about them by a more objective rater, which I would say are the letters of recommendation. And I, I basically threw everything out because there's no way to judge one person compared to another based on this volunteer or this research or that. Yeah. And especially, I mean, probably dermatology is kind of a small community. I feel like you might know some of the letter writers and, you know, you can attest to their, their character and, and their opinion. Yeah, you do. And that's another funny thing you bring up because you'll get some people who have applications and they've gotten these really, really well-known personalities in dermatology. And the letters are always the same from these major people. They'll be like, this is the most prepared, most capable student that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And I would take them in a heartbeat. All the letters always say like, I would take this person in a heartbeat. And <laughs> so it's hard to, it's hard to distinguish on those. I almost valued the highly respected letter writers less because I sort of viewed them as a letter farm. Like I knew med, I knew students were going to whatever personality at this major university. And I just knew that they must be like 30, 40 other letters of recommendation out there from this specific physician for multiple students. I kind of liked the ones better that were from local people who you knew had worked with them for a while and had a better feel for them rather than famous dermatologist fill in the blank. Right. Because I felt like those were more sincere and more impactful to me from an unknown letter writer. I, I, maybe that's my small town outsider outlook coming into it, but I've always felt like an outsider in medicine because I didn't have any of these connections and no ways to make them. And so I, I never really liked it when I saw those because I, I felt like yeah. they weren't as genuine as small town doctor writing notes for small town person or or just people who didn't have as many connections and couldn't make them. Those are the people I connect with probably because that's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you definitely need that voice in medicine and like at the U. I'm sure like that's why they have you, you on there mm -hmm. as faculty well, amongst many other reasons. <laughs> Um, so is there anything I'm not, I'm not saying I do it perfectly and everybody's doing it a little different, I'm sure, but that's, that was my insight. So I'd say spend a lot of time on your personal statement, spend a lot of time cultivating good relationships at your home institution so that you can get a sincere letter. Cause the people that read them, I think can feel when it's sincere or when it's boilers, like boilerplate stamped on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Um, as yeah, I mean, I remember getting letters of recommendation for medical school. It's it's an interesting process for sure. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Is there anything you feel like the University of Utah as a program itself is looking for? I mean, you might need to talk to talk to Dr. Hole about that, but yeah, that's definitely something to talk to Dr. Hall or Cipriano or Duffy about. They've been heavily involved in the residency program and directions. Um, they they do a lot of they spend a lot of effort to make sure that we try to check our biases before we review applications and we do those implicit bias association tests to try to make sure that we recognize what we're biased towards or against, and so we can be more cognizant of that while we review applications. And they want us to, to strongly consider the distance traveled for the patient, distance traveled in life, which has nothing to do with geography, right? It's all about who, where did they come from? What kind of struggles and trials did they overcome to get to where they're at? Or did they not have anything? Was it all just handed to them on a plate? Those kind of things try to, to try to increase diversity of experience and just to make it so that more people who may not have the connections but deserve equal training can get it yeah i mean i think that's awesome that they're they're trying to to do that and i mean the university of utah it's such a cool program i i don't even know what they do completely with the residents but just being there yes. um with them i mean i've I been have, very impressed with it i had the opportunity to go with you to um uh, rock springs colorado isn't it or Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, those, Wyoming. Right. Yeah. They do those um, little, you fly in those pl- putter jump or puddle jumpers and you uh, land in little Yeah, you have a little prop and... plane. They fly, they fly outreach clinics around. It's not just Durham. There's a few of them that do it, but it's a ton of fun. And the, the residents ever get to participate in that? Uh, I've never had one go with me. I know that some of them go down to Montezuma's Creek to to help on the Navajo reservation. That might be more proper rotation to do that. Mm-hmm. But to Elko, Nevada, we go out there, Rock Springs currently. I don't think residents ever go. Every now and then a medical student who's interested will ask to go on there. And I've had one or two go. Yeah. I mean, it's just super cool seeing like the kind of more rural outreach and just seeing how the University of Utah does that. I love that about the... Yeah, I always like it. It's, those are my people. Rock Springs is very much like Vernal. And that was the setting I wanted to be in originally. I wanted to be rural. But if you don't have money, you you got to start up your own clinic somehow. And it takes a lot of money and, and training. And I don't have the experience to do that. And so I uh-huh. had to join somebody because I, I there was just no way I could set up my own rural practice and make it float. There's just no way. Yeah, that's tough to do, especially with like maybe less demand in in a rural area. Maybe, so. Yeah, maybe that's my fear speaking, right? But I I just didn't see how I could financially make it work or administratively business. I'm not a business guy. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So it's that would that would put me out of my wheelhouse for sure. So, um, yeah. well, is there anything that you would like to add, just as advice for future uh, applicants to dermatology? Oh, yeah. You had some other questions on here that I think I can help without. Um, so our re- addition rotations, regardless, internal rotations, you said what kind of tips do you have for being successful or what do residents and program directors appreciate med students? Um, I think the most important thing is to be interested and engaged. It doesn't like you don't have to be asking a thousand questions to show that you're interested in it. 
Um, but you should at least try to catch on to something that is done through the day and then ask a question about it just to show them that you're thinking about it. If you see a patient with acne and they're putting them on Accutane and they talk about all the side effects or this or that, you could say, tell me a little bit more. How often do you see this side effect or how much do you worry about this side effect? Or, um, I mean, that would be a good, a good simple way just to show that you're processing it and trying to learn it. And I, I would usually sit down. This is probably the most important thing you can do. But when I have somebody come in and I've never met them before, I usually sit them down and say, what are you hoping to get out of the rotation with me? How involved would you like to be? Um, do you want to try to see someone on your own and staff with me or just follow me? And I have had, I think, one person say, oh, yeah, I want to try to see a patient, try to staff with you. And that was impressive because everyone else takes the easy out. And they're like, well, I'll just shadow with you, except for the visiting medical students. The ones who are visiting are serious about getting in and they know how to work it because they've probably been coached a little bit. And so yeah. they'll say, well, I want to staff these people with you. And so I think the most important thing to do is just before the day starts, try to get them for like five minutes and say, I would like to get these things out of the rotation. Can you help me do these things? Um, if you ask for help, people, people seem to like you a little bit more because then you're sort of implying that they're in an intelligent person, that they can help you out. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a way to, it's a sneaky way to butter up people without being a butt kiss about it. <laughs> so yeah. just, and not asking for help on everything, but like saying, can you help me get better at, at staffing a patient? Can you, can I staff a patient? Can you give me feedback on it? Ask for feedback at the end of the day. Say, what did I do better? Or what did I, what did I do poorly? What did I do? Well, what should I work on? And that will seriously impress people. If it shows that you're, you're thinking about it enough to want to get better and you'll ask them for help because then they'll say, Oh, they don't say, they don't think this, they don't feel it, but I think, or they, they don't say it verbally, but I think they feel it. They're like, they respect me. They think I'm a good person. They think I'm a good doctor. They're asking me for help. And that makes them feel good about themselves. And then they're going to want to help you. And it's, it's one of these softer skills that I don't think is taught in medical school, but people that are successful fi have figured out of yeah. how to make people like them. And I think that's one of the secrets is just asking for feedback, asking for a little bit of help, but not on everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, how do you strike that balance between being involved, but not being like too overbearing? Um, yeah, I'm sure you probably uh, have a student that it can be a little bit. Too it's not as fine of a line as you think it would be because maybe it is, but there are sometimes I get a student or a, or a rotating resident and I go to do a skin exam and they put gloves on and they stand this close to the patient. And I'm like, no, you don't like, don't put gloves on unless I invite you to put gloves on. Right. Don't stand so close to the patient. If I'm looking through the patient's scalp, you don't need to get up and look in the scalp with me. Like if there's something interesting, I'll show you, but stand a comfortable breathing distance away from the patient and give them some space. And it's okay, but just be ready. If they want you to help or they want you to look, they'll call you over. You shouldn't stand in the corner on your phone. You, you shouldn't have your phone at all. When you're at an away rotation or you're in a derm rotation or any rotation, your phone should not be visible ever, just ever, because yeah. that will sink you real fast. The, yeah. the times I've been least impressed with, with students or rotators, they pulled their phone out and they're looking at something and maybe they're looking something up 
but when you're the attending, you don't know what they're looking at unless you said, can you look this up for me? So right. that would be that would be a really big red flag. If someone pulls out their phone and they weren't asked to do anything, I would say, no, they're out of here. Yeah, and I've heard that before. And I wonder too, like, if, I mean, I, I can imagine it could be helpful to also like be helpful to the staff, like, you know, being somebody who was a medical assistant in dermatology, like, there's there's a lot of ways that that you can help the physician and and sometimes there's a lot on like the medical assistant's plate and if you could if you could kind of help set up a biopsy tray like would that be helpful that's huge um so along with sort of debriefing with the provider before the clinic starts to figure out what the expectation for the day should be and what you can realistically do and expect that way you get those questions out of the way early like I'm not putting on gloves unless you ask me to, or I'm not going to stand up and touch the patient unless you invite me to. Those are things that you should just get out of the way. And I think they'll be impressed if you ask, say, how involved should I be during the exam? Where would you like me to be? So I'm not in the way. So you're not trying to dance around them as people move around. Just clarify all of the awkward points so it doesn't come up and then do the same with the staff and say, teach me, teach me the general flow of a visit so that I can function in your place for a visit if I need to like help me learn how to set up a biopsy, how to process the biopsy. Cause that's always really impressive too. When a student comes in and they watch me do one biopsy and then the next 10 visits, as soon as I say biopsy, they've got everything set up and they've got it already. That just shows that they're there to work and they're willing to do whatever menial task it is. I'm never going to ask them to do that stuff because you, you don't want to scut work somebody. But yeah. if they're willing to do those little things without being asked, that's somebody you want to work with. Right. And especially if they pick up on it without being asked, that's even more key. Yeah, totally. So, and I mean, I that's imagine something that like, you can preempt. Yeah. Like, and I know just being in like a big, big dermatology group that, that we were working in, like, you know, the medical assistants know the preferences of the the different um okay. providers and so yeah they can tell them like they like to do things this way and like you can just match their preferences yeah. by working with um, not only the physicians but the staff as well so yeah uh, the staff because the staff will definitely make or break a student too because they will share their opinions with you quite freely even if you don't want them to i'll sometimes have a student come and they seem fine to me and then the staff is like i am so glad they're gone and so making sure that you know how to interact with all the team is important. And part of that is just clarifying expectations before the day begins, because then you know what they want you to do and you'll have a better idea of what they don't want you to do. So you won't run afoul of them halfway through and then have everybody saying, oh man, what a drag. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. <laughs> I think we've all been yeah. there before too, uh, when, it's, and, yeah. when it doesn't work out well and it's so... Um, but when it does, it's really fun. So, um, mm -hmm. anything else that you would like to add? That was really good. Uh, some tips for getting more hands-on. I think the tips for getting more hands-on is just, again, setting up expectations beforehand and say, I would like to get a little of experience doing these things. If that's okay with you, if we get a chance. So biopsies, I'll have people do biopsies with me if they seem interested in it. So if they express interest in doing it, then I'll set it up and I'll teach them and we'll do it together. And then it's more fun for me and it's more fun for them. But the ones who are like, I just want a shadow. 
I'm not going to give them anything to do because they didn't express any interest and they'll learn what they want to get out of it. You get out of it what you put into it. And most of that's setting up expectations. Um, other things you said, do you have a dermatoscope? No, I didn't have one during a, during medical school. You get one in residency, of course, as a derm resident, because that's what you're learning. But in medical school, it's not going to do anything for you besides make you look like a tool. Because <laughs> who's who's this med student that already bought the supplies that they need? Um, uh, Bruce Smoller is one of the dermatopathologists at Rochester, New York. And he always would said, a, tool, a fool with a tool is still a fool. And just to go back, he would always say it in reference to immunostains for pathology. And he's like, if you don't know what you're looking at, or you don't know what you're going to do with the result, you shouldn't generate the result in the first place. And so as a medical student, having derm light, you just don't need to do that. Um, mm-hmm. That'll further, that'll, anyways, that'll draw another line a little bit between haves and have nots because they're expensive tools. And right. I mean, a cheap one is like 400 bucks. Right. Uh, do you do research on dermalectives? If it's an opportunity, that's another one I was never good at. I, again, my, my program took me in and they gave me stuff to work on. And that's, I, I sorely think that's the only reason I got in. It's because Ben and, and Dr. Zyrus took me in and said, here's this project you can help us with. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I think a lot of medical students are probably in the same boat, unless they're significantly more prepared than I was. Cause I went to undergrad to med school. I never did any research training and I, I hate that research and those kind of things are so heavily involved in Durham because most people are not going to do those things. And so that's another reason that I kind of threw them out. I figured everybody does case reports. Everybody does projects. I don't even care about that. What I care about is do other people think that you're good to work with? And mm-hmm. does your personal statement compare, com- convey some sort of authenticity to me that's interesting and would make you feel like a good colleague? Because everybody who goes through med school is capable. I think everyone's capable. You just, you got to find the, the, the way to be yourself and be authentic and present that in a way that is going to make other people want to work with you too. I love that. Everybody just wants you to be yourself. (laughs) And, and I, I think it's great that you are like, so accepting of just people who don't have as many opportunities and, and, it's just good to hear that because sometimes, you know, it does kind of feel like it's just hard. Like I said, probably more so. <laughs> I probably weigh more heavily on the people who they look like they worked hard and they did what they could and they did as much as they could with what they were given. That's who you want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I so much appreciate your your time on here, Dr. Mathis. And uh, is, is there any way uh, you would want people to reach out to you or just reach out through the podcast? Oh, yeah. If they wanted to, they could email me at my university email. That would be fine. It's just jason.mathis at hsc.utah.edu. I get a whole bunch of spam things from there anyways. So <laughs> if, if other people want to email it, I, I get random emails from people sometimes. And it's always a pleasure if I can help. If I can't, I can often direct you to somebody who can. So Yeah. You've been very helpful to me, so I appreciate it. Well, appreciate you again, Dr. Mathis. Yeah, I don't know if this is useful to anybody. I Like I said, I, I don't think I would match now just looking at applications unless there's somebody out there like me who would judge it kind of like I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's hope there's uh, more people like you out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, Ged. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.